Her Story is a program that explores women, leadership, and healthcare. I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Geetha Nair. Dr. Nair's career has really been focused around championing how to empower patients and physicians through the use of information and technology, and currently serves as the general manager of healthcare and life sciences and the executive medical director of Salesforce. So Geetha, welcome to the show. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. So you've held a wide range of leadership roles, really impressive career thought we could start with the question we ask all of our guests and that, do you consider your foray into leadership more of accidental or an intentional course? I would say like everything in life, happenstance, a lot of hard work, but happenstance for sure. (laughs) (laughs) You're a rheumatologist by training. You kind of did the clinical route and then you've had an impressive lineup of different roles from companies like Apco to AT&T and then provider organizations and now Salesforce. Could you give us a little bit of a high level executive summary of your career path leading up to what you're doing today? Sure. I would first and foremost say that I am a physician at heart, right? So I'm a passionate doc. I very much believe in empowering patients and I'm still very much on the front lines of medicine. And that's really what drew me into health tech and to the business side of healthcare, because very quickly you learn on the front lines and we're seeing that with the pandemic, there's only so much you can affect in one-on-one patient care. And I think when you're able to zoom in and out and bring that perspective to technologies or policy or whatever element of the healthcare ecosystem at a macro level, but with that frontline lens, you're able to do that much more. And that's really been my personal journey. And you've also spent a fair amount of time on the media side. So I know education and kind of bottoms up influence is really important to you. How did you find yourself in that realm of things? Sure. So again, happenstance. I think, again, my passion remains in the front lines. One of the biggest things or one of the biggest roles I think physicians can play is as an educator. And if you're a good physician, you're also a good teacher and you're constantly helping your patients understand how they can empower themselves in their own health journey. And so really, again, just a series of different invitations and opportunities that really led the top line MD work, the CNN work, and just really thrilled at a time where information and and good information is so critical that I'm happy to be part of the solution, although I would argue that we have so many folks that we need to hear from, and and certainly in the brown and black communities, for which we know that when people look like ourselves, we also tend to listen to them. So I would just say that we need more folks out there talking truth to power. Absolutely. And so as a clinician first, what does your role actually entail? You know, Salesforce is a software as a service company. And so What does your day-to-day actually look like? What are you responsible for in that context? As the general manager of healthcare and life sciences on the the provider side, it's really a lot of things that we're talking about, which is to inform our business plan, our strategy, our product roadmap from the lens of a clinician and someone who understands our customers, which are hospitals, at a time when digital engagement and CRM technologies couldn't be more important. So we're just wanting to make sure that it's very much relevant aligned with what doctors, nurses, hospitals need, and making sure we're out in the market with a megaphone talking about it and and hoping to be part of the solution. And I know you view technology in many ways as the modern day stethoscope, which I think is a great analogy. How have you seen medicine as an industry evolve through the course of your career? What are the things that we're starting to see strides forward in? And what are the things that still continue to be big gaps? Sure. So I think it's all the things that we're doing primarily jump-started from the pandemic. So whether you talk about virtual health, digital engagement, 
meeting consumers where they're at, a consumer who's feeling more responsible for their own health than, than ever before. All of these are, are kind of byproducts of the pandemic. That said, a lot of the problems in the infrastructure remain. A lot of legacy systems on the tech side are holding us back in some regards. And a lot of the people and cultural issues are ones that we continue to see really being the toughest to drive. And, and again, I think that's slowly evolving, but that's one of the biggest pain points in the industry today. One of the things that you and I have talked about is a lot of the folks that we work with, they tend to focus on the clinical side or more of the industry administrative side, and you're really tackling it from both fronts, which I think is just so powerful. How do you think about the need to balance the frontline perspective and the systemic perspective, and how are you able to do both so well? Sure. Everything is a goal. I don't know about doing things well. We just do our best, right? But I firmly believe if you are trying to empower the front lines, which every provider system is trying to do and drive efficiencies, then the best technologies and the best administrative tools you can put together are invisible, right? As physicians, nurses, care team members, we just want to see patients. That's why we went into medicine. We certainly didn't go into medicine to be bureaucrats or to be shuffling paper around in back office. So If you're doing the right thing on the back end, then it's all about the front end and it's all about not interfering with that clinical care and that clinical touch point. So I always say the best technologies are invisible and really the front line shouldn't even know what is being orchestrated in the background, which I think is very much where we all want to be as an industry. Well said. So I guess shifting a little bit towards what led you on this path, I know you come from a family of physicians. At what point did you decide medicine and was it purely family influence or what piqued that interest for you? I've always been a a science nerd. I've also always been a people person or or someone who likes to chat and talk to people and get to know them. And so medicine for me was really something I decided I'm very early. I got into medical school when I was 17 in in an accelerated medical program. And I do come from a long line of docs, mom, dad, etc. But for me, it was such a clear choice. At one point, I wanted to do a PhD. I thought about teaching and that was, you know, one thing I had thought about, but that much time in the bench and that much time hidden in the lab was, was not for me. And so I think medicine is really for folks who love science, but really love being with people as well. At what point in that progression did you have that moment where you said, hmm, I'm doing leadership and you kind of started to shift the tune there where, what was your first leadership experience? I would say at no moment. I I think that you just do what you're passionate about and you do it well and then things naturally arise, but it was never a clear and conscious decision that, you know, say I'm going to wake up and try to be a leader. I don't think that that's really the evolution of that, right? I think that you focus on what your passions are, you do them well, and naturally there are opportunities to move things forward either in your organization, your company, your community, your environment. And so I think that is really the forefront of leadership. And as you think about the different professional roles that you've had, have you had to pursue different skill sets or trainings to kind of prepare yourself for that role? You know, for example, I know that you got your MBA in between some of your roles. Like what was that thought process like? And how did you determine, you know, where are the areas that you wanted to address those additional skill sets? I made a conscious decision to do an MBA because what I realized after many times butting heads with a hospital administrator about a patient that I thought needed to be admitted or needed to stay longer than the nursing administration usually would allow, it always hinged on business language or business aptitude. And being a physician, you were sort of never given that credibility in the business space. So the MBA really opened up a whole language, a whole credibility level as not just a physician, but a business person. 
and an ability to kind of go toe to toe with so many of the business folks that were really making the decisions for the hospital and for the patients. So very consciously pursued that. And then I would just say that, again, for me as a physician exec, one of the things that I've held onto and really consciously made an effort to do is to hold on to practice. I know many of my colleagues are not able to do that, and it is not an easy balance. Last week I had patients and I, you know, I don't leave clinic or get home till pretty late, you know, usually not before 9, 9.30, because between all the administrative things, as well as the things that need to be tidied up, because I know the rest of the week will be spent in non-clinical work. It is a balance that I'm always striving to find, but I will tell you some days are more focused on one thing than, than the other. But again, I think it's one, it's true and, and core to my passion, but it also very much informs my work at Salesforce and vice versa. And so I think it's an important perspective, particularly in this really dynamic environment in which healthcare is looking very different every day than when it looked like yesterday. You're a big proponent of it takes a village and there are a lot of people that inform our paths. What role have mentors played for you personally as you have kind of navigated each of these different stages of your journey? Oh my goodness. I think you can never have enough mentors. And I, you know, when people say I have a mentor, I have a mentor for almost every different part of my life, right? Whether it's motherhood, business, being a doc, media. So I think you can never have enough mentors. I have so many people that, that I'm thankful for, both men and women, physicians and non-physicians. And I would just say that the most important thing is to seek them out, ask for the mentorship, and also to pay it forward to the next set of folks who I'm sure will be looking up to you, not to far away, Sanjula, as you're early on in your career still. So I think it's a small world and we all help each other and we're all part of an industry that I think we should be really proud to be a part of at this moment on the globe. I'm sure there's so many pearls of wisdom from all of those mentors. Is there a piece of difficult feedback that you think back on that you receive that really made you kind of pause and, and rethink things? And how did you overcome that? That's a great question. It was interesting because I, I think as a doc and as someone in the medical world, a lot of us are perfectionists and a lot of us are alphas, right? Alpha women, alpha men. And I certainly fall into that category. And so one of my mentors that said to me, you know, you, if you try to make everything perfect, you'll never get anything done. Don't, you know, don't be so afraid to just move forward, particularly in software where, you know, they often release things and then evolve them as they go. It's very different in medicine where we like to nail it on the first go because, you know, there are life at stake. So just learning through that process that making progress includes failures or mistakes or just learnings as you go. And that that is also the natural course of business and of life. So that's probably one of the biggest learnings that I've had. Is there a time or a particular scenario that you think back on that really made you realize that your leadership journey or kind of experience is different because you were probably one of the few women in the room or have you ever felt like you were the only one just from a female perspective that you face different things? I think all the time. I mean, I think back on the time when I was pregnant, when I was a young mom, breastfeeding and traveling and what that looked like. So there were many times and there continue to be many times. The one thing I would say is number one, it's, it's very important to have women in these roles, particularly in healthcare, where we have to remember that it's not just about having diversity at the table, but diversity is your customer right? It is doctor mom that makes all the healthcare decisions in the household. Even if dad brings home the health insurance, I guarantee you it's mom making the decision, which pediatrician, which nursing home for the folks, hiring and firing of pharmacies. And we have to remember that. And so when we think about where we're evolving in healthcare, and we also think about our frontline workers, a lot of our, again, our nursing staff is made up of women. We have to incorporate those perspectives into our business strategy because they directly affect 
our bottom line. So it's not just because it's the right thing to do, but it is very much because that is our customer base. And so I always try to bring it back to that in conversations. And I also think a lot of times from a cultural perspective, we just don't think about these things, right? So you have to kind of remind folks. I remember being in a meeting maybe over a decade ago and there was a decision we were making and everyone in the room that I was the only woman in the room and everyone in the room said, well, let's take a break. Let's make this final decision over scotch and cigars. And of course I don't drink scotch nor do I smoke cigars. I'm also a doc, so I don't smoke cigars. cigars. (laughs) And I just kind of chuckled and said, well, gentlemen, I think that's terrific, but how about we do it over Manny and Petty's, right? Like that was my way of saying, hey, I want to be part of this decision, but I'm not going to smoke cigars and drink scotch with you guys. So let's find something else to do. (laughs) So I think we have a lot of work to still do, but we've certainly made a lot of progress as well. Absolutely. I mean, to your earlier point, leadership on any given day is tough. And in healthcare, it's even harder just given how complex and dynamic the industry is. And, you know, you've talked about the additional challenges that women face within that. I know you and I have talked as being South Asian women, there's also probably a third layer of expectations that you probably face as a leader in your journey and what that actually holds implications and how you've thought through things. Talk a little bit about how that experience has shaped your journey. I'm a very proud South Asian woman, but I think that as I reflect on where I am in my journey, as well as just my upbringing, my mom is a doc, my dad is a doc, both are also very proud South Asians. The South Asian culture is is very patriarchal, like many other Asian cultures or, or Middle Eastern cultures. So I think this is something that we just have to continue to make strides in. And and one of the reflections that I have, I don't know if my mom would ever say this, but I I don't think I ever appreciated that my father was such a feminist, right? To, To raise me as his daughter, to support my mom, just such admirable qualities. And I think that we have to just look out for that and also look to make strides in our own culture and our own upbringings and our own individual communities. So I'm always reminding my daughter of that and, and, you know, making sure she's very mindful of that. Speaking of your daughter, I know that you are really great about setting boundaries of this is family time and this is work time, which I think is just so admirable because not enough people actually do that. But what has it been like trying to juggle motherhood and all the roles that you do? What advice would you have for others? Not that there is such, such a thing as balance, but for others who are trying to find a healthy normal within that. I was laughing. I put myself on mute because I was laughing quite loud. Um, there, I don't know that I do it very well. I just do my best. I, I think the first thing as any mom, we carry a lot of guilt no matter what. And I think even if I wasn't doing half the things I'm doing, I would still feel just as guilty. So I think number one, being gentle with yourself. I think that's also something we've learned in this pandemic is to really be gentle with ourselves, put on the oxygen mask because if you don't, again, all the folks that depend on you really do suffer. The other thing I would just say is that, and this actually comes from my mom, is, you know, she would always tell me that you can't do everything all the time. You just can't be the best at everything all the time. There will be days when you're a better mom than you are a doc, and there will be days when you're a better executive than you are a mom. And and she kind of reminded me that that's par for the course, and that independent of working or being a doc or any of these things, that's par for life. Some days you're a better mom, some days you're a better daughter, some days you're a better friend. Right, because I think in today's modern world, we are doing a lot at at one time. Certainly the pandemic added all kinds of layers to that. I would say at the beginning of the pandemic, it was just nonstop giving children chocolate to get them out of your Zoom so you could do work. And then you sort of pull back and say, gosh, this isn't going away. We need to cut the the sugar. So I think we're learning. I mean, I, I think we're learning. I also think that you talk to your kids. I would say that I am continuously surprised by how insightful 
my daughter is. And I think sometimes we need to remember, and she's only nine, so she's not a teenager or anything, but kids are really a product of their environment in many ways. And you can say many things, but it's really what you do that I think has the most lasting impact. And it's the things that you don't say that they really take to heart, good or bad. So just remembering that, right? Whether you're taking a device break, whether you're exercising, whether you're just figuring out how to deal with conflict or even saying, gosh, you know, I've said that to Sonia Williams. I wish I had more time. I wish I this or that. And, and she would just say, well, mommy, I, I mean, I was fine. I was with my friends. I was, I didn't even notice. <laughs> so sometimes they will get you off the hook, right? But it's been a terrific journey and I am just doing the best I can. I think so many of us are, and that's, that's really all we can do. Absolutely. I mean, to that last point, you actually had a really great story that you were talking about, kind of the bake sale and the cupcakes and then something that your daughter said about spending time with her. Could you just share that with our audience? We kind of run into these different things or these different obligations at school. And there's just, again, so much pressure to be perfect, right? There's so much pressure to be perfect. And there's this kind of silliness of comparing who baked what or, or, or that or the other. And me and Sonia have fun with these things, whether we make the cupcakes ourselves, whether we buy them and put the icing on them. For me and her, it's about building the memories and doing activities. And that's what she really enjoys. You know, she doesn't remember the things we do as adults are just not the things kids notice, right? The prettiest room, the prettiest cupcake, not important. It's that time and that time together. And, and so she always reminds me of that and just says, you know, mommy, I had so much fun doing this and who cares? Like they all end up in your stomach anyway. <laughs> I feel very blessed to have the daughter I have. But again, I think it's just about letting yourself understand that these are struggles we all have, right? You have an entire podcast dedicated to this. So I think that speaks to the fact that every mom, every mom to be, every mom not to be struggles with this because I think we're all just trying to do the best we can, both both men and women. What do you do for yourself to kind of, whether it's self-care or just to kind of decompress from all the stress, particularly COVID? I know you've been leading a lot of the vaccine and education, you know, discussions, you know, down in Miami. I mean, how do you find time for yourself and how do you reset and how do you be you? For me, my outlet is I'm a huge lover of tennis. I play tennis pretty regularly. I also just try to get outside and move because I think in this era of Zooming all day, we forget to stress, we forget to move, and we also just forget to take our eyes off the screen. I really try to do 10,000 steps a day to the best of my abilities. does not always happen. And that's the other piece to it is if it doesn't happen, I don't beat myself up in the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, oh my gosh, why am I, you know, I'm like halfway there. And so I think to the point of being a perfectionist, right, you've got to start, you got to start somewhere and it doesn't always end up at a hundred. So, and, and I think all of us are different. I mean, yoga, I think works for some folks, meditation, i struggles with trying both of those things. So for me, it's really tennis. And I try to incorporate my daughter into that as well. So I'll hit when she hits, or I'll set up a time for her to play a game when I have a game. And so we just, you know, we do our best. Her dad will play with her as well. So we just have also tried to make it a family thing that we, we do together. And it's just also incorporating exercise into daily routines and life also since so she develops that, that kind of balance. Shifting gears a little bit, you've kind of roadmapped a lot of your career. And, you know, as you look back, we all reflect on lessons learned. Is there something that you think about that early on in your career you really believed and now you, you say, hmm, that's not actually true? I think at the end of the day, experience always wins. Look at Dr. Fauci, right? I mean, it's, it's about the experience. And I will tell you as a rheumatologist, I love old people and I love hearing the stories of so many of my elderly patients and many of them not very educated, but they've just got this glorious experience. 
and this value that is just tremendous. And, and I think that's one thing I've also realized is culturally, we have this feeling, particularly in America, that, you know, once you're old, you're, you're not useful to society. And I'm actually so excited to see so many people that I look up to, whether it's Dr. Fauci, Jane Fonda, so many folks, not just 65 plus, 75 plus, 85 plus, my parents. I think it's that life is beautiful and you should enjoy the journey along the way and you'll be surprised how you evolve. I'm, I'm also very much appreciating life is made up of different chapters and where you start is not necessarily where you thought you'd be in the middle and not necessarily where you thought you'd be in the end. And those different chapters inform the next. And so taking the time to take that experience in is half of the fun if you stop to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Building on that. What advice would you give your younger self? Like think back to, you know, whether it was you in med school or even well before then, what would you tell yourself now? Well, gosh, now in the era of COVID, first of all, I would say travel the world as much as you possibly can. You never know when you won't be able to. But in that spirit, it's the different perspectives, right? Because sometimes when we sit so long in one place, we think there's only one way to do things. And I think what we're learning too in healthcare is there are many ways to do the same thing. And when you do travel the world and you do take in those different experiences, you can appreciate that you can get from A to B. You can get to B in many ways, but perhaps there's seven detours in the middle. And so I think it would be exactly that slow down, taking the experience, taking a global worldview with the, the sooner and the younger. I think that you do that, the more informed your journey is going to be. And this is a really small planet. I, I think COVID has shown us that. And as vast as the planet is and as small as we're realizing it is, there's also a common theme in humanity. And, and I would say that when there are conflicts, either personally or professionally, when you come back to the common thread, which is humanity, it's amazing how many bridges you can build with people that you may have otherwise thought you wouldn't have been able to. And I'm seeing that with patients who didn't want to see a woman doctor and patients who didn't want to see a woman doctor with black hair and with men who don't want to report to women. I'm, I'm seeing this at different parts of my life where if you take that piece out and you just find that common ground of humanity, it's amazing how people's vulnerable sides will show and you can find that commonality and really build a relationship that actually turns the corner on those, those different barriers that may have seemed insurmountable before. That's very well said. I would be remiss if I didn't ask, you know, as someone who also teaches medical students and you spend a lot of time doing this, is there a certain capability or wish that you have as you think about the next generation of clinical leaders? What are some of the experiences or training that they should kind of be more intentional about seeking out to be more prepared for the way that healthcare is transforming? I would actually say it's not just for medical schools, but for business schools a lot, right? Because they're often the CEOs that are coming out of Wharton, Harvard, et cetera. You know, more and more than ever, and I say this also as a mom, your emotional intelligence is so much more important than your IQ. And I would also say that there are a lot of smart people on the planet, but the folks that make an impact and are the most intelligent really have the highest EQs. And so taking the time to develop that and kind of speaking to some of the things I was mentioning earlier about experience and slowing down and books are great. I, I certainly want my child to read as many as, as I think she can, but not at the expense of that emotional intelligence and emotional development. Because like I said, the thing that's going to cross the chiasm is going to be that common humanity and that common vulnerableness. And we're seeing this in COVID, right? We're seeing that we now know our neighbors. We now are part of our community. We're, we're just seeing that every day. And I'm glad to see that. It's, it's refreshing. It shouldn't have taken this pandemic, certainly. 
But that's the kind of stuff that you can't find in books. It's all about EQ. And I'm very convinced that folks who really develop that are successful and change the world. That's great perspective. Final question then. You're still writing the chapters of your book and you have many more to go and I'm excited to track your career along that path. But if you think about you know, the legacy that you want to leave behind as this healthcare leader that's really crossing the chasm from a systemic view and really bottoms up on the clinical side, what would be the title of your autobiography? I want to be America's doc. I mean, I think that I want to be America's doc, whether it's in the work that I do at Salesforce, whether it's in the media work that I do, whether it's as a mom or showing my daughter and, and her friends, you know, the, the beauty of science. I teach their science class every year. I think that's what drives me. And I feel like particularly when we think about patient engagement and education, it's that old adage that you can feed a man a fish for a day, but if you teach them how to fish, they can, they can eat for a lifetime. I, I really believe medicine is that gift that if you can help people learn how to take care of themselves, then they can be healthy for their lifetime. They can be healthy for their family's lifetime. And there's nothing else that inspires me more. So, I mean, I think that's the legacy that I, that I want to leave behind. And to be able to scale that in health tech, not just in my zip code, but around the country and globally is what inspires me to do what I do every day. So I think that's what it is. Maybe you'll add authors to your list one day. I think that's great. I hope so. Let's see. Let's see. That's great. No, thank you for sharing all that. I appreciate all the work that you're doing in the industry to kind of keep scaling a lot of that, that impact. So thanks for spending some time with us today. Really, it was great having you, Dr. Nyer. Of course. Thank you for doing what you're doing. You know, I wish forums like this were around when I was your age. So it's, it's terrific to see this. And I'm very inspired to see more and more women like yourself doing what you're doing. And, you know, we're just here to pass the baton. So make sure you take it and run. Her Story is a podcast produced by Think Medium. For more leadership stories from inspiring women across healthcare, tune in every Wednesday. Please subscribe to Her Story on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. You can also view Her Story episodes in video and access exclusive content on our website at thinkmedium.com. Be sure to rate and review her story so we can continue bringing you insights from influential women across the country. If you enjoyed this episode, we appreciate you spreading the word to your friends, family, colleagues, and mentors who might be interested. For questions and suggestions, please contact us at herstory at thinkmedium.com. Thanks for listening.